Hi. One year after I started doing this podcast, I went back to listen to the first episode, you know, the one you're listening to right now. Oh, God. Sounds like I'm reading a fourth grade English report. Eh, what do you expect? I've never done this before. Anyway, I'm just here to state that I think the quality gets noticeably better in later episodes. I move up to reading a seventh grade history report. Enjoy. As you go about your daily business of gathering nuts and berries, copying a boss's report, dealing with traffic, or luring a weasel into a cardboard box, you might notice that rational thinking appears to be taboo today. This podcast will show by example how to think more critically about some everyday things as well as some not-so-everyday things, rather than being motivated purely by emotions or the opinion you last heard. This means taking the time to think about the side effects of each decision you make. For example, your neighbor's red-butted baboon is keeping you up all night trying to play those endearing young charms on a xylophone. Now, you might be tempted to call the cops, but can the cops actually stop him? And will this just piss your neighbor off so much that he teaches his baboon to play the Remo Williams theme on bagpipes instead? Now, I suspect I'll be preaching to the choir, as many non-critical thinkers will find these issues boring and choose not to listen. Not that critical thinkers won't also find this boring. But I have two seldom-used methods for getting my point across that may make this more interesting. One, I'm going to try to use information that we can all mostly agree on, opposed to reading historical documents, quoting more interesting people, or spouting useless statistics. What good is this? Well, it will hopefully show you that you often have all the information you need to at least explore an issue. In addition, too often people use misleading information, are misinformed themselves, Sometimes, people even directly, intentionally lie. 14% of all people know you can use statistics to prove anything. And when it comes to historical documents, there's always the question of whether or not they're authentic. My goal is to reduce people's requirements on facts that just cloud the issue, and instead focus on the basic facts that you already know, unless you're Descartes. Two, I also plan to tailor this to be less scientific, to a degree. Too often, I hear people using pure logic, mathematics, and even physics to argue a point to someone who is more driven by their emotions. This will get them nowhere. Logic will not change the mind of someone who gets a warm, fuzzy feeling about believing in the flying spaghetti monster. My goal here is to show that people are in the equation. Human emotion is a factor. Great leaders are great leaders because they understand how to deal with people, their insecurities, fears, joys, their emotions, basically. More people trust their gut feelings than logic, and my logic is never going to change their mind, but maybe it can open them to the possibility. Now, the topics on Logically Critical would be all over the board, so I suggest you listen to a few before you reach any conclusions. That being said, on to the first topic. Often, while I'm having my chassis lubed, or simply listening to some local moron complain about the price of grapes on the radio, I hear the statement that this nation, the United States, was founded as a Christian nation. I tell my brain that I heard it too and promptly try to ignore it. I assure you if you look into this, you'll find that to be an error. But that would require actual time and effort and the potential to be wrong. So, rather than digging around through historical documents of questionable truth, 
Let's focus on two things that most people will agree on. The Ten Commandments and the Ten Amendments. Now, I'm not saying we're going to agree with them, but that we all agree on their contents. There's much debate on whether the Ten Commandments have been correctly translated, and they often appear in abbreviated form. However, in this case, they'll serve my purpose, as I'm using the ones from the King James Bible, which, translation errors or not, most U.S. citizens go by. I'm not aware of any controversy regarding whether or not the Ten Amendments have been correctly passed down since they were enacted. I propose that we can look at these 20 rules and reach a conclusion. Now, having said that we'll only have to look at those 20 rules, I'm going to ignore that and look at yet another document, but remind everybody that neither the word God nor Creator appears in the Constitution. The Declaration of Independence uses both of these words, but that's not a document that governs us. That's a declaration of war, and history shows us that it's very easy to get people behind God to fight a war. Very few people put their life on the line for their country's economy. When viewed that way, it's easy to see that our forefathers were quite astute in their ability to both motivate and govern people. They knew God would aid one and hinder the other. I only mention this because a lot of people are under the misconception that the Constitution talks about God. It doesn't talk about God any more than the Super Sugar Crisp Bear does. Now first, something important to note about the Ten Amendments is that they were drafted the same year that the Constitution was ratified which was 1789. They were all ratified at one time, which makes them collectively known as the Bill of Rights. Now, at the time, there was some controversy about the need for a Bill of Rights. But the fact that the Founding Fathers started on these immediately after ratifying the Constitution means that the majority of the Founding Fathers very quickly saw an oversight on their part and decided to correct it. I cannot overstate that. These amendments, by definition of being the first must be considered the most important holes our Founding Fathers decided to plug in the Constitution. If you're driving down the road and suddenly notice that your passenger is on fire and the bag of cat litter in the back seat is leaking, I bet you'll take care of the fire problem first. That's because it's the most important. If you truly want to know our Founding Fathers' intent, look at the first areas they altered. Here's the timeline. Constitution drafted, Constitution ratified, Immediately, the Ten Amendments were drafted, and then they were later ratified. They jumped on this immediately because people were already looking for loopholes in the Constitution, just like people do today when a law is drafted. These amendments were reactionary and were made to combat a very real threat. People were already looking for ways around the Constitution, and our forefathers wanted to stop this. I would also argue that something similar applies to the Ten Commandments. These are the first ten rules God laid down, and were the most important to him. If you recall, Jesus came down and clarified some of God's rules, amending them, if you will. He repeatedly stated that the Ten Commandments are still true. Therefore, these are pretty damn important to him, and I think most Christians would agree with that. That being established, what is the first, and therefore most important, commandment from God? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Quick side note. Is it just me, or does the reference to no other gods before me suggest the existence of said other gods? What's the first, and therefore most important, constitutional amendment from our founding fathers? Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. 
Okay, remember that first part right there. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So right out the gate, not only is the First Commandment not upheld, it's completely unconstitutional. The First Amendment basically says the law has no place dealing with religious matters, period. Now back to the commandments. Number two. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Oddly, this also conflicts with the First Amendment from a freedom of speech aspect. According to our founding forefathers, you can say whatever you like to and take the Lord's name in vain as much as you like. What's the third commandment? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. Now there are many interpretations of this, and I'm sure old King James made some changes from Hebrew. But the basic interpretation is you can't worship images or statues. However, if you read this literally, it says you can only make images or statues of things on land or things that don't exist, and you still can't worship them. Either way, the amendments don't touch this one with a 10-foot pole. They simply have nothing to say one way or the other. Okay, commandment number four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Commandment number five. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long. Sure, if you want to. No support or denial from James Madison and his cronies. Okay, so we're halfway through the commandments, and two are unconstitutional as a law, and three are simply not even addressed. Let's skip ahead to the last commandment. Number ten. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Now some say that this one is in direct opposition with capitalism, something that the Ten Amendments really don't touch on. If you take out the wife part, that would be fairly accurate. But if you choose to look at this from Jesus' perspective, which seems to follow Buddhism, it suggests that wanting is the root of suffering. Surely if you've ever met the average teenager, you'll notice that they often spend heroic amounts of time thinking about things they don't have. They often appear unhappy. So maybe there's some truth there. But is our law based on this? Definitely not. Now we get to the more interesting commandments. Number six. Thou shalt not kill. Number seven. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Number eight. Thou shalt not steal. Number nine. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Now these are all very fine rules, and with the possible exception of adultery, I'm fairly certain that all of these are laws in every state of the Union. I'm not sure on adultery. It's illegal in my state, but adultery can be defined as the voluntary sexual act between a spouse and not their spouse. It says nothing about whether or not the not-involved spouse is aware or consenting. And whether you agree or not, many couples willingly participate in swinging. If all parties are consenting, I don't see the problem. But anyway, aside from adultery, the remaining three are illegal in every state to my knowledge. However, these rules are generally agreed upon by all cultures. They were not unique even when they were created. These are good rules, but at their most basic, they say nothing for or against the existence of God, nor do they push any particular religious belief. So they're not really Christian, and therefore do not support the idea of a Christian nation. How would any culture survive if lying, stealing, and killing were accepted everyday practices? 
When it's all said and done, you have two unconstitutional commandments, three that are common rules in almost every society, four that are simply ignored by the law, and one that's kind of iffy. I think a very good case is made that our founding fathers were not very concerned with the Ten Commandments. To think so is to insult them or to be completely ignorant. Let me state this another way. The first two, and therefore most important things to the Christian God, are unconstitutional. Furthermore, they're unconstitutional based on the first loophole our forefathers saw. The first thing they outlawed was the most important thing to God. They clearly weren't thinking of this as a Christian nation. If they were, the First Amendment wouldn't conflict with God's first commandment. Only three of the commandments does the U.S. uphold, no lying, stealing, or killing, and these rules are assuredly universally practiced. Well, that covers the Ten Commandments, but do you actually know the Ten Amendments? Many don't, so here they are, paraphrased. Number one, separation of church and state, free speech. Number two, the right to bear arms. Number three, no peacetime quartering of soldiers in your house. Number four, no unlawful search and seizure. Number five, and this one says a lot of things. Trial by jury, required for capital crimes, no double jeopardy, cannot be a witness against thyself, better known as the fifth, right to due process, your private property cannot be taken without compensation. Number six, right to a speedy trial. Number seven, right to trial by jury. Number eight, no cruel and unusual punishment. Number nine, just because it isn't mentioned here in the Constitution, doesn't mean it's legal or illegal. Basically, you cannot imply meaning from what the Constitution doesn't say. This one's really useful, and the Bible needs this one. And number ten, states or the people control whatever isn't mentioned in the Constitution. None of those things are even touched on in the Bible other than maybe the right to bear arms, although sword would be more apropos, and possibly trial by jury, which would have been called a council of town elders. Okay, so what? I've proven that our founding fathers didn't create this as a Christian nation. So what? Well, I have a particular problem with this because too often I hear political Christians say this in an effort to push their religious agendas into law. It must be made abundantly clear to these people that nothing could be farther from the truth. If a law is just, and we generally agree to it, then it's probably not a bad idea. There's plenty of counterexamples of this. Unfortunately, our legal system is a popularity contest. If we allow the argument that Christians founded our nation to be a valid argument to create a law, then some very bad things happen. Yes, Christians are responsible for many laws that help lots of people. But those laws aren't Christian in nature. Jesus doesn't have a patent on helping. So what do you gain by saying this is a Christian nation? What beneficial laws can you pass with this notion? Can you help more people? No, non-Christians help people too. Can you prevent more people from being killed? When Christians can get the extremists from their own flock to stop bombing abortion clinics in the name of Jesus, we'll talk. Until then, I don't think the answer lies in God. Can you... Uh, I'm trying to think of another possibility. But I can't think of anything that isn't just directly Christianity. The only purpose of saying this is a Christian nation is so you can pass Christian-specific laws. Under the guise of saying you want to help save more people and their souls, you can ban contraceptives, provide tax breaks for churches, and eventually make it illegal to work on Sunday, which God repeatedly says not to do. 
You remember in school you learned that Galileo was condemned by the church for saying the earth revolved around the sun? The hell you say! This being a Christian nation is totally against the First Amendment. It's good for the Christians, but the Jews don't care for it. And what about Buddhists? And any of the other religions in America? All you can do with Christian-only laws is suppress other beliefs, and it is clear to me that that is exactly what our Founding Fathers did not want. Why else would freedom of speech be a basic right? And even if you are a Christian, you wouldn't want to think this. Do you want the government dictating how you can worship? There's a lot of Christians that differ on their worshiping. Some think contraceptives are okay. Others don't. Some think women have no rights. Others don't. Some disagree with evolution. Others don't. I believe most people, regardless of their religion, are fairly middle of the road and not fundamentalist. You don't want the government suddenly telling you that something in the Old Testament must be adhered to. Most Christians I know dismiss the Old Testament, ignoring the part about how to mark your slaves and King David being a peeping Tom, even though the Ten Commandments are in that Old Testament. Do you know the Old Testament is full of animal sacrifices? And not just any animals, your best animals. Do you as a Christian want that to be enforced? In equal parts, the First Amendment is meant to protect the church from the government as well as protect the government from the church. This is a nation where there are more Christians than there are any other group of believers or non-believers. This is not a Christian nation, and the only reason you'd say it is is so you can justify persecuting non-Christians. In addition, so you can justify persecuting Christians who simply disagree with your brand of Christianity. Jesus would be proud. Visit our website at logicallycritical.com or send feedback to podcast at logicallycritical.com and let us know how you like the show. If you think I failed to make my case, you have any topics you'd like for me to discuss in future episodes, hate the sound of my voice, think the production quality sucks, or have a deathly fear of albino beavers. As Steve Ely says in Escape Pod, if you like this, tell a friend. If you hated this, tell an enemy.